And so this morning, I want to devote my talk to uh, family money management. And you might say, well, what does that have to do? What does money management have to do with family? Why would you include this talk in this series of talks? Well, if you've ever bickered with your wife or your husband over money, you would not be alone. In a study SunTrust made, money issues uh, are so troubling that people rate it as the number one stressor in, uh, in their relationships. According to a 2014 American Psychological Association survey, stress in America, almost a third of adults uh, who have partners, 31%, said that money was the major source of conflict in their relationships. The Institute of Divorce Financial Analysis says that money issues are responsible for 22% of all divorces. Now, let me say really, really quickly that money is never the reason for a divorce. I'm not saying that people won't use that, but money is never the reason for uh, a marriage ending. The reason the marriage ends is not because of money. It's because if, if it ends and it has something to do with money, the ultimate issue is not the money. The ultimate issue is the love of money. In fact, the Bible says the love of money is, is the source of all kinds of evil, including some evils of divorce, right? We divorce over love of money. So this morning, though, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about money management. I want to share with you seven biblical principles. This is going to be a topical message, but I, but I feel like it's still true to the Word of God. And I want to share with you seven principles. I've written down seven. I could have written down more. Um, I will say that just, I don't know if I chose these seven because these are things that Ann and I have tried to do in, in, our, in our marriage and in our family, but these are seven. And, and so you evaluate them for their, their commitment or their, their foundation in the Word of God. See whether they're true. And uh, then at the very end of this talk, I've got four specific applications for you, okay? And one of those, it's going to necessitate that you remember the first seven things that I'm telling you, all right? So if, if you don't take notes, I'd really like to encourage you to take notes this morning. At least write down the seven things that I'm going to share. They'll be on the screen behind me as we go. So at least write them down because one of my applications involves all seven of those, okay? Everybody with me? All right, let's dive in. First, first principle for money management as a family I want to give you is this. You are not the owners of what you possess, but rather you are the steward of what God has entrusted to you. Now, most of us that follow Jesus, we already know this principle, but it, it's worth repeating. It's actually a foundational principle, I think, for all money management, for those of us that follow Jesus. Now, it's true for anybody, whether you follow Jesus or not, God is the ultimate owner of all things, okay? But for those of us that follow him, we have agreed that God owns everything, that it belongs to him. And our responsibility is to be a manager or a steward of that which he's entrusted to us. And so in Genesis, we read that God entrusted to us as humankind. He entrusted us the management of his creation. And so specifically, that comes down to me. I'm responsible for managing that which has been entrusted to me. So Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that's in it. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Now, understanding this principle can help you as a family because you'll realize that you're not, you're a, you are accountable to somebody else. In your management, you are accountable to God. And, and you'll realize that your money is not your money. It's not even our money. It's God's money, and none of it actually belongs to you. Now, again, I, I, know, I know that if you're not a follower of Christ, you would ridicule what I'm saying. But for those of you that are followers of Christ, you have embraced this truth that it doesn't belong to you. 
And you are a steward of it. And you are a manager of it. And so none of it belongs to you. And you recognize that. And if you recognize that none of it belongs to you, then you also recognize that you have a responsibility to manage it the way the one who owns it wants you to. The only part that belongs to us is the responsibility to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to me. Principle number two, generosity blesses both the giver and the receiver. Proverbs eleven twenty five. the generous will prosper. Listen to this. Those who refresh others will, be, will themselves be refreshed. So you see, generosity blesses not just the person that we might give to, and we all can see that, right? But, but generosity blesses the person who actually is doing the giving. And that's why we love the Christmas carol at Christmas, right? Because we love not just what Scrooge does for everyone else. I mean, we, we, we rejoice in that. But we also rejoice in what happens in Scrooge's life, you know, when he goes from being this miser and this selfish man who's hoarding everything for himself. We, we, we just rejoice in how Scrooge's heart has changed and how he gives and the joy that he finds in giving. Luke 6.38 Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, those, are the, those are the words of our king. Those are the words of our master, the one we follow. He says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, running over. So, so here's what I'd say to you. Make, this isn't a get rich screen, uh, scheme, everybody. Now, and I, I know a, a lot of our prosperity Brethren, assuming they're brethren, but you know, they, they just, this is a get rich, uh, this is a get rich scheme. You give so that God will give you the mink coats and the Cadillacs and everything else. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this, this is to be a way of life. You are to be generous. You are to give. And, and if you are, it'll come back. You'll be blessed in, that, in doing. That's what the proverb says. The one who refreshes other, will, others will himself be refreshed. And, and so be open-handed, everyone. And your family, and your family recognize that your family is a vehicle of being open-handed to others with what God has entrusted to you. You bless others and you too will be blessed. Number three. True wealth is measured in relationships, not in dollars. And I I think if there's a principle you need to really grab hold of this, wealth is not going to be found in how big a number you you can find in your checkbook or how big a check you could write. That's not where true wealth is going to be found. True wealth is going to be found in the relationships that you have. Now, it's okay for you to, I think that you should pursue uh, wealth in, 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 a, in a godly kind of way, I mean, but not compromising that which matters most, okay? Uh, it's okay to have money, but never let money have you. I know that's kind of cliche-ish, but it's a good word. It's okay for you to have money, just don't ever let money have you. Don't kill yourself trying to get wealthy and miss out on real life. You know, we, uh, the co-op had their graduation on Friday, and Nathan spoke, and it occurred to me this morning, some of my notes, but you know, Nathan was talking to the graduates, and he said, uh, he said this, he said, uh, don't miss the little things in life as you're waiting for the big things. And I'm, I'm probably not saying exactly right. But Nathan basically said, you know, sometimes we're just always waiting for the big things in life that we miss the little things that are every day, right? Well, this is, this is the kind of thing that I'm trying to share here with you with this, right? Don't, don't miss on the little things of life that matter the most while you're trying to get the big bucks, right? While you're focusing on, on making money, don't forget that which matters most, and that's your family, 
And that's your family. Work hard. And by the way, the, I am not advocating laziness. In fact, I, I detest laziness. Um, you know, we are not to be slothful in any way. There's so many things from our master who says, do not be lazy. Okay? I'm not advocating laziness. But, but there's a balance. And, and, and we need to be careful that in the pursuit of, of prosperity and wealth and providing for my family, that I don't swing the pendulum all the way over here and I'm missing out on what really matters. And what really matters are relationships. And, and specifically for you families, what really matters are your spouses and your children. So you've got to learn in this balance, that this balance of providing for your family, but not letting that consume you. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, remember, Jesus is our king. He's our master. This is what he says. Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And I love this next line. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not found in all the stuff you have. Your life is found in the relationships that you have. They're the only thing that's going to matter. They're the only thing that's going to last through, you know, the, the final resurrection, the judgment of God. And, and when we're all brought into the, the new earthly kingdom, resurrected bodies, all that, the only thing that's going to go with you are going to be your relationships. And, and so here's this principle, and, and I want us families to get this. I know it's cheesy. I know it's cheesy, but when you're dying, can I just say this? I got it in my notes. When you're dying, you're not going to be saying, oh, let me see my checkbook. Oh, man, what a great balance. You're not going to be saying that. I know it's cheesy. But you're going to be saying, I want my kids here. I want my friends here. I want the people that I love the most to be right here with me. That's what you're going to want when you're dying. Why? Because relationships are where life is found. And so make sure that we're not out of balance here. Uh, I got some more things in my notes here about this point. In Luke 6.32, which is in the same context of Jesus saying, Give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, running over. Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what thanks? This is where he's calling us to love our enemies. What thanks do you receive? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you receive? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom, whom you hope to receive, what thanks do you receive? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much in return. But you, but you, love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the highest, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, even as your father is merciful. Now the point about that text, I mean, the context of that text is love your enemies. But here's the point I want to make from within that context. It's this, that why would Jesus say lend to people when you're not going to get it back? Lend to people that you don't have any hope of getting it back. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because that relationship with your enemy, that person matters more than money. That's what he's saying. And, and so, again, here's the principle. Here's the principle. Um, relationships, true wealth is measured in relationships, not money. Relationships matter more than money. Number four, enduring wealth comes from consistent discipline, not get-rich-quick schemes. And I don't mean that at times people don't step into something really, really good. You know, I was young enough. I mean, I'm old enough. Excuse me. I could have stepped into that Nike stock. I wouldn't have had much, but I could have stepped into it. And had I stepped into it and kept it, you know, I'd, I'd probably be sitting really pretty today had I stepped into that, right? 
Uh, I, I'm not saying that things like that don't happen. I'm not saying you shouldn't play the stock. You shouldn't play the stock market. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at the stock market and all that kind of stuff. But what I am saying is that, that financial stability comes not through these get-rich-quick kind of means, but it comes through hard work and it comes through discipline. And that's God's principle of, of wealth in a family. That's how God provides for us, through those, through those uh, disciplined, consistent, hard work days that we put in, into things. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from get-rich uh, schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. You know, it's, not a, it's hardly a day that I don't get a, a get-rich-quick email. Really. Hardly a day goes by that somebody's not trying to say, hey, Jimmy, you can do this and you can make lots and lots of money. And then the Nigerians, I don't know how they got my address, but the Nigerians, I mean, all I've got to do is, is send them my bank account number and, and we're going to be wealthy, everybody. And uh, so, you know, I'm telling you, people who want to get rich quick, they fall for those sort of things. We need to recognize that a principle for your family is, is lasting wealth Lasting wealth comes from an ethic, an ethic of hard work and, and, and just disciplining yourself in, in that. Number five, contentment is the key to defeating greed in our life. So families, listen, being content with, with where you are is the key to defeating greed. Money is not evil, but greed is evil. Would you agree with me? Greed is evil. Money is not. Greed is. But greed is the love of money. And that's where all sorts of evil come from, is, is loving and valuing money over people and valuing money over your family. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul writes, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, this, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Many people have turned their backs on following Jesus because of the love of money. In fact, this morning in Sunday school, most of us studied the parable of the four soils. And you remember the third soil is the thorny soil. And it says that when the love of money gets in there, that, that plant dies. So, so, so here's the principle, everyone. The principle, the principle is that contentment is what keeps us from buying into greed. Money is a great resource for good when it's in the hands of people who have learned to be content. 1 Timothy 6, 7, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now I'm telling you, that, that has got to be one of the hardest verses for us as Americans or Westerners to ever buy into. The Apostle Paul says, I've got, if I've got shelter over my head, and, or I guess that would be clothes on my back, and I've got food, then I can be content I mean, we cannot be content without cable TV and all of those kind of things and and a nicer car. I mean, I can't be content with a dented, rusty car. I've got to have a brand new one. And on and on and on it goes, right? The Apostle Paul says in his context, man, I've learned to be content with clothes on my back and food in my belly. And that's all I need to be content. You know, uh, when an unhealthy love of money becomes the primary desire of our heart, then what's going to happen is an idol is going to grow up in our lives. And the idol that's going to grow up in our life is this idol, this love, of, this love of money. And it's going to drive us, according to the text, it's going to drive us to do stupid things, even ungodly things, as we have this unquenchable quest for more and more of it. Hebrews 13.5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. 
being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Now, how do you do that? How do we defeat the love of money? Listen to Paul in Philippians 4.11. And this, again, I know it's topical. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of ripping some verses, but I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm keeping them in the context in which they're delivered. But in Philippians 4, it says, uh, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I need anything. Remember, Paul is, is writing about their provision. And he says, I am not writing to you because I need anything. I have learned to be content no matter what happens to me. I know what it's like not to have what I need. I also know what it's like to have more than I need. I have learned the secret of being content no matter what happens. I am content whether I am well-fed or hungry. I am content whether I have more than enough or not enough. I can do all this by the power of Christ. He gives me strength. Now, I love that verse. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, I have learned to be content. So let me tell you something. You learn to be content, everybody. It's, it's not like zap, you're content. No, you have to learn to be content. How do you learn to be content? You learn to be content. Now listen, this is what Paul says. You learn to be content by not having enough and by having too much. And in both cases saying, I can do everything I need to do through Christ. You find Jesus to be enough. Whether you have lack or whether you have an abundance, Jesus is all you need. And I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be super spiritual. I'm, I'm really, this is a challenge to me as much as it is to any of us this morning. Jesus is enough for us. He should be anyway. And the Apostle Paul says, I've learned, I've learned that through the power of Jesus, Jesus is enough. Whether I am hungry and I don't have enough or whether I have too much, Jesus is enough. I've learned that secret. Now, we quote that verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? But never, ever, ever, ever forget after today the context in which that is found. He, he may be taught, you, you can make it, it's, an application is broader, but in context, what Jesus or what Paul is saying when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is he's saying this, I can be content wherever I am because Christ gives me power to do that. That's the context. That's what he means. So contentment, contentment is the key. Contentment is the key to defeating greed in our lives. Number six, number six, debt leads to bondage while savings leads to freedom. That's important for us to understand the difference between consumer debt and investment debt. Investment debt. Consumer debt is when I borrow money for things that I consume and use up. It would be borrowing money for my clothes or borrowing money for food, that sort of thing. Investment debt is hopefully things that I'm borrowing money for that are we going to retain or increase in, in value, such as my mortgage. Okay? There's always a danger in any kind of debt. Those of you that bought back during the boom days, 10 years ago, whatever it was, when houses were super inflated, you know, two years later, you were underwater. What that meant was you borrowed this amount of money for your house, and now it's worth this amount right here, right? So debt's always dangerous, but really when, when the Bible speaks of debt, it's really talking about consumer debt, okay? And, and there is a sense in which consumer debt carries bondage. It's like we're enslaved to that debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrow, borrower is the slave to the lender. The average American household is carrying $5,700 of debt. What that means is you extend all the consumer debt that's out there, and you divide it by all of us in America, it's $5,700 per person. Okay? 
If you take all of us out of there who don't have consumer debt, we may use a credit card and pay it off at the end of the month, but we don't carry consumer credit credit card debt or consumer debt, that number jumps to $16,000 per person who's carrying consumer debt. 30% of American homes have car debt, which is a consumer item, for an average of $27,000 per home. Debt is like putting on golden handcuffs. It might look good, but in the end, it's just going to be bondage for you. It's just going to be bondage for you. And, uh, and so you need, to limit, you need to limit your consumer debt. In fact, I would challenge you to get rid of all consumer debt. If you have a lot of consumer debt, I, I think, listen, and I don't, mean to be, I don't mean to be mean. This is just my heart. I really think it's true. But if we carry consumer debt, and maybe there are uh, emergencies, But if we carry consumer debt, what we're saying is, I'm not content with where I am. God, I'm not content with what you've given me. I I want more. See, God, you missed it. You know, you might might have done Noah right, but you didn't do me right. And so I'm going to go out here and I'm going to borrow money because you haven't done right by me. I'm not content with what you... I think consumer debt is a way of us telling God, God, you've just done me wrong. I'm not content with what you've done. And maybe I'm overstepping there, and you just you you be the you know my heart, but you you, you evaluate that. God is God is all for us working hard. He's all for us improving our financial status. Okay, but He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to learn contentment where you are, without going into consumer debt. Uh, consumer debt is is going to enslave you. It's not going to flourish you. And some of you are carrying consumer debt, and you, and you need to stop. You need, to, you need to quit. You need to get out of it. You need to find a way to get out of it, okay? Dave Ramsey, who has said a lot about financial peace and financial freedom, he basically says some of us need to have plastic surgery. You know what that means, right? Cut up the little plastic cards. You know what's on our plastic cards? Most of the time it's consumer debt. It's going down to Target and buying clothes or buying something that, that I probably don't need right now. Now, savings, on the other hand, is the opposite of debt. It's freedom. It leads to freedom. Scripture says that anyone who does not save money when they have it to save is a fool. If you don't save money when you have it to save, you're a fool. That's not me. I know that's really hard, but that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 21, 20. There is precious treasure uh, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish foolish man swallows it up. So here's what a foolish man does. He, he He just takes everything he has when he has it extra, and he just consumes it, and he uses it all up. Even nature kind of tells us this. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, that's the story of the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider his ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, and yet it stores provisions in the summer and its food at the harvest. So the ant recognizes it needs to save. Even nature kind of tells us this. So why is saving so important? Why does the Bible tell us we're foolish if we don't save when we can? Because because life happens, (laughs) And life is unexpected, right? Things happen to you. And if, you're, if you don't have any savings, then you have nothing to provide for, your, for yourself when life happens. Um, Ecclesiastes 11, 2 through 3 says this. Invest, and this is Solomon writing. He says, invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north or it, it, 
In the place where it falls, there it will lie. So here's what Solomon means by that. He says, man, when the clouds are full, the flood's going to come. It's going to come regardless. And so you need to be ready for that. And his, his point is, you need to not have all your eggs in the same basket, but be prepared because you, life happens and your engine blows up, you know, or your tires wear out and you, and you have to spend money. And so if you don't save, you don't have it. Debt is bondage, the Bible says. Savings is freedom. So save. Save so that you can give. Save so that you can live. Save so you can stay out of debt. Save for the long term and for the short term. Long term, I mean save for your retirement in those days when you may not be able to work. Save to pursue God's given opportunities that he might have. Listen, if if God calls you to do something and you have no savings... Then, then you have no way of doing it. God speaks to you. We have a missionary come in and, and, and he's saying, I really need, I need a half a dozen of you to go to Timbuktu because there's a great need for you there. And inside of your heart, you're like, man, God, I'm one of them. I want to go. And you don't have any savings. And you don't, you don't, and I know maybe a bad illustration because we all depend on everybody else to send us. But if you don't, if you don't have savings, you cannot go if someone doesn't provide for you to go. Final, final principle. Provide finance. And this is so, so important. This is where I'm going to get kind of personal. This, but this is just a principle still. Provide financial margin in your life so that you can save and stay out of debt. Now, some of you may not say, I, I may not know. I don't even know what you mean by margin, Jimmy. What do you mean by that? Well, margin is the difference between what I have and what I spend. And way too many of us, way too many of us in this room, we don't have any margin because we spend all the way up to what we get. My whole paycheck is spent on whatever I'm spending it on. Okay, I'm not going into debt right now, but I don't have any margin because I'm spending every dime that I make. That, there's no margin. What I'm challenging us to do in a family is, is find a way to develop margin in our lives. Now, I realize throughout the ages, some people in the world, they didn't have any room for They didn't have any margin. Those of us that have been to Congo and the DRC, we have watched, we have watched women scrounging on the side of a, a hill, trying to find food and, and wood for supper. There, there's no place for margin. I understand it. You're, you're just trying to find food to eat that night. But for most of us in this Western world, there is plenty of ways that we can make margin, financial margin in our lives. And that's what I'm challenging you to here this morning with this principle. And I'm going to get specific in just a minute, okay? But margin means I may need to tighten up on some things and determine what's a real need and what's simply a desire. For example, we all need to eat. But who need, how many of y'all need to eat filet mignon? Now think, I think of the pictures behind me, isn't it? And some of you are saying, yeah, I need filet mignon, right? <laughs> I need filet mignon. We, we all need to eat, but do we have to eat out all the time? Do we have to eat out so often? You know, our, I know our guests are eating out a lot with uh, being with us, right? And, uh, and especially if they go camping. But, um, you know, we have to, you know, sometimes we have to eat out, but, but most of us don't have to eat out all the time. You know, I need a cup of coffee in the morning, but do I need a four bucks, a four dollar Starbucks coffee or do kind of one dollar McDonald coffee do, right? You see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, there are plenty of places for us to make margin in our life. Recently, Australian millionaire got in a lot of trouble. His name is Tim Gurner, and uh, he was on a 60-minute program in Australia. And uh, he said the reason why millennials don't have anything is because they're buying $19 avocado to- toast and buying four 
cups of four bucks Starbucks every day. I'm going to read you this quote. He got in a lot of trouble for this. He says, when I was trying to buy my first home, I wasn't buying smashed avocado for $19 and four cups, four coffees at $4 each. That's, that's a secularist talking about what's happening in this generation is our young folks don't have any margin because they're spending all their money on all these little things that they want rather than creating margin in their life. Just about all of us can create margin. You, can, you might say, well, Jimmy, I, I don't have any room for margin. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have room for margin. Evaluate everything. Give your monthly income. This is my monthly income. These are my expenses. The, the greater that, that I, I, the, the distance I put between what I spend and what comes in, that's the margin that I have to save, to give, to do with as God would have me do. So now let me get in your stuff and let me give you four specific applications. Here's number one. Those are my seven principles. Here's number one. I'd like to ask you husbands and wives, and if you're single, do this as a single person, but I'd like to ask you to take time this next week and talk through or think through these seven principles that I just gave you. Sit down with your spouse and and, and talk through, how are we doing on this? How am I doing on this? How, how, how are we doing together as a family implementing these principles? How are we living them out in our lives? You know, uh, where, here's, here's the thing I want you to ask yourself. Is there any conviction from the Holy Spirit or where is the conviction from the Holy Spirit about these seven things? Is there any area that I need to work on? Is there anything that I need to, you know, I need to tighten up, straighten up, whatever, my generosity, my savings, my debt, my valuing money over relationships, you know, all of that stuff. Just be honest and and have a time of looking through that together as a family. Number two, develop a plan on how to apply whatever God gives you, whatever God says to you. You know, as you take this and, and you evaluate it, um... What's the plan to deal with whatever God says? Now, Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And here's what, the, here's what Solomon was advocating in that, in that wise saying. He was saying, you know, plans bring about advantage. No plans, no plans bring about poverty. So I want to challenge you to a plan. Now, you might think I'm talking about a budget here, and and I am talking about a budget in some way. If you need one, only 32% of us have a budget, but they say it's the most effective way of managing your money, what goes in, what goes out, what you're doing with it, knowing what you're doing with it. Only only one out of three basically have a budget. Uh, We don't have a budget, do we? We don't have a budget, okay? So, uh, but... What I want to challenge you with is not so much to have a budget, though you may need that, all right? Maybe that's going to be your plan out of evaluating your seven principles, right? But there's other ways that you need to plan. So it's like, here's, for instance, how are we going to create margin in our life? You need to come up with a plan. If you don't come up with a plan, you will not create margin. You'll just keep marching on to the same drumbeat that you're on right now. So you have to come up with a plan. How can I create margin if there's a need for more margin in your life? If you're in debt, how are you going to get out of debt? How are you going to rid yourself of the, of the shackles of consumer debt? How are you going to do that? Now, Dave Ramsey has this thing called financial peace, and, and, and I, we have it in our library. You're welcome to watch it, okay? And he'll walk you through. But one of the things that he says with regard to a plan is, he says, you know, you find your, your smallest debt, and you begin to pay it off. 
And then when you pay it off, you take that money and, and that you were spending on that debt and you, and you add it to whatever and you take the next debt until you get them all paid off. Develop a plan and apply what God is telling you to do right here. Number three, these are my specific applications for you as a family. Number three, stop keeping secrets from one another. Stop keeping secrets from one another. And you say, well, I would never keep a secret from my spouse. And I hope not. But you know, six million, six million people in America confess to keeping secrets from their spouse when it comes to, to finances. One in five couples in America, according to creditcards.com in a survey they did, one in five couples secretly spent $500 without their spouse knowing it. I guess in these days they might say, well, $500 isn't much money. But, uh, but still, you know, the whole idea is stop, stop being secretive about money. Be, be honest about it, you know. It, it, marriages, marriages that flourish are, are marriages that, that just are able to be transparent about everything, including this whole issue of finances. And so, you know, remember the golden rule. Treat, treat your spouse the way you would want to be treated. But, but let's, let's be clear here. It's time for us to, to really get honest with one another, especially as you apply this last, this last application. The last application that I give you, and then I'm done this morning is work as a team. Work as a team. Talk, talk, talk. Listen, communicate about your finances. Talk about how you feel about... And and, and again, your feelings matter. They should matter to your spouse. Talk about your feelings. Talk about your practices, how your family spends money or saves or lacks it, whatever. You know, and be on the same page. Work as a team. Now, it's going to take give and take here. And it's going to take, again, that transparency and that honesty and that willingness to receive and, and give, being willing to hear what my spouse has to say without being defensive. Chuck Bentley gives this recommendation. I, I thought this was really, really good when it comes to making financial decisions. This is what he says, and I quote, In talking with families around the world and in my own home, I've learned that the best way to reach a peaceful agreement when discussing money is to decide ahead of time how decisions are going to be made before things get heated. My wife, Anne, and I make a point of hearing each other out without making rude comments or interrupting. I mean, we can all learn from that, right? (laughs) Listen without making rude comments, self-justification, or interrupting. When it comes time to make a decision, we agree that without unity, we won't move forward. We call it red light, yellow light, green light decision-making. It's a great tool for any crossroad discussion. If both of us give a project green light, it's full speed ahead. If it's a yellow light for either of us, we need to talk and pray further. But if one of us puts up a red light, we stop. We take a step back and work together towards unity. And we both agree that there's going to be only one set of values used in making our choices. God's values found in the Bible, unquote. And so I would just challenge you and me to work as a team in our marriages when it comes to this whole financial thing. And you know what? Ann and I don't do the green light, yellow light, red light, but we sort of do. Like we just replaced the top of our deck and Ann was like, let's do it all. Green light. And I was like, no, yellow light, yellow light. We can't afford it. Of course, the green light always wins out in the end if Ann's got the green light, right? So, uh, us, uh, so isn't that right, Tommy? <laughs> Tommy, isn't that right? <laughs> so, but seriously, no, she convinced me. She convinced me it was a green light, right, to go ahead and do the whole thing. So, but, but here's my, I think that's a really good idea. I really do. I think it's a good idea. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. All right. Uh, I, one more thing here before I go on. And I know a lot of you use this philosophy, so I'm, I'm doing this with fear and trepidation. But be careful with the yours, mine, and our philosophy. You know, you got your money, 
and I got my money, we got our money, you spend your money, you, you're responsible for these bills, and you spend your money any way you want, and you're responsible for your bills, and you spend your money any way you want. And you know, there, there's no mandate against that, but I, I, would really, I, would, I would really urge some caution in that. And uh, if you've managed that well, go for it. But, but for young couples coming up, I, I, would really st- I wouldn't start there, because I think it creates a, a mentality of yours, mine, and theirs, or yours, mine, and ours, as opposed to it's all ours. So be careful with that. I'm finished. Um, there you have the principles. You got four applications. Uh, I want to end with an axiom that I hope might become a driving ambition in our marriages and in our families as it relates to money. Here's my axiom. You can't take it with you, but you can shape eternity with it. You can't take it with you, but you can shape eternity with it. And we've all heard, you know, there's not going to be a U-Haul behind a hearse, but I found a picture of one. Put the next one up there. There it is. <laughs> he didn't get the memo. But, um, but seriously, you can't, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. And so as a family, invest in people, invest in ministries, create, create an eternal legacy with what God has entrusted to you. Commit yourself to using his money to make a difference that will outlive you personally. Here's what our Savior taught. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and, and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Do that as an individual. Do that as a family. Let's bow our heads. You know, your response to this talk is, is going to be found in the first, app, first my first of four application points, and that is that you will choose to set a time this week for you and your family, you and your spouse to sit down, if you're single, for you just to sit down with the Lord and maybe a, a notebook and, and say, Lord, how am I doing with these seven things, these seven principles? You know, where do I need, where do I need to better apply them to my life? Where, where do I, what do I need to do with these things I've heard? And listen to his Holy Spirit. Listen to him uh, speak to your heart and, and convince you of things that he would want you to do. But that's, that's your assignment as we leave this place. But I do want to, uh, just before we close, with you know, just our heads bowed and, and our hearts in a reflective sort of mode, I do want to say, really, it's not about your money. It's really not about your money. God doesn't really care about your money. God cares about your heart uh, from the inside out. He cares about your heart belonging to Him. And so this morning, I would just, you know, if, if, if Jesus... If you have never received the Lord Jesus as your King, as your Savior, as the one who bore your sin on the cross and rose from the dead that you might be forgiven, I, I want to invite you in this moment right now, as David said, right here in this very moment, for you to receive Christ, for you to say, you know, I don't really, some of you have been sitting here under the preaching of God's word for a long time, and, and maybe you've never responded to Christ, but he is inviting you to let him be Lord of your life. He's inviting, you to, he's inviting you to let him be king, for him to forgive you. And as the response is yours now, will you, will you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Now, if this morning that's your heart, then, then just tell him so in your heart, and then let me know. Let me know at some point this week, hey, Sunday was my day of deciding I want to follow Christ. I want to receive Christ. And we'll talk about that, okay? Let me pray. God, thank you for... Uh, 
instructing us so well on so much. You told us that we are to teach one another all the things that you taught us. And you taught us so many things about uh, finances, about our enemies, about loving people, about what's important. And, and Lord, you've given us a lot of help with it when it comes to finances. So Lord, help us as families to be good stewards um, of what you've entrusted to us. I pray for us as a church family, Lord, that we would be good stewards of that which is entrusted to us as a family as well, and that we might use your resources to, to reach the world, Lord, to, you know, to, to touch the world as you lead us. So, Lord, help us to be faithful in that. Lord, help all of us to, to be committed to doing more than just listening to this talk, but applying it to our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us 